Hey, you guys, welcome back to a new episode on Smiley Said It. I have been gone for a while on majority of all my platforms, but for those who are subscribed or know about my Patreon, which is not many of you guys, it seems, <laughs> um, I've been uploading my episodes on Patreon for the past uh, four or five episodes. I decided to come back on Apple, Spotify, and also on SoundCloud because that is pretty much where everyone typically listens when it comes to my episodes on my podcast. On today's episode, I wanted to talk about Lauren London's interview with Angie Martinez. And I also wanted to compare and contrast it to Jasmine Brown's interview with Shambuti on Shambuti's podcast where she was talking about submission to her boyfriend Cam Newton. Majority of us who do know who Cam Newton is, um, if you were able to listen to at least a few episodes or uh, podcast interviews that he has had over the past couple of years, you would kind of have an idea of who this man is, you know, and what his perspective is in um, relationships and co-parenting and how he views women and their role in relationships whether you agree or not that's one thing but we're going to talk about all of it today get comfortable grab your coffee your blunt your edibles your water what have you because i'm diving in into this one i promise this is going to be a good one let the intro play out let's get to it I cannot wait to talk about this because it has been a journey for me to learn about the respectability politics when it comes to relationships and dating, especially with uh, Black women and women of color, because I have to make that distinctive subject because there is a culture around relationships in different traditions as far as like race, ethnicity, religion, etc. Pathology is a real thing when it comes to the black community. I wanted to listen and watch the Lauren London interview with Angie Martinez, who I respect as a talent in radio and music as well. I, I do. I respect Angie Martinez. She's not perfect in a way of how she sometimes go about Black culture and hip hop. I have a high respect for women that are in media but also the face of it, the person that has a control over it, from executive producers to writers, directors, etc., hosts of TV shows and radio shows. I have a high, high respect for Black women and women of color in those spaces that are typically occupied by men. So when you control a narrative of different scenarios and situations of life, whether it's in regards of relationships, friendships, work, environments, etc. Partnering with humanity in your everyday life, whenever you have a woman behind the mic interviewing another woman or even another man, there's a layer of empathy, of respect that you just don't see on a regular basis when it comes to men behind the mic, especially when it comes to interviewing the opposite sex, right? 
Angie Martinez interviewed Lauren London, and the interview pretty much was surrounding perspective of how Lauren handled the death uh, before uh, Nipsey Hussle had passed away and when he passed away and after he passed away. How she views life in general outside of Nipsey Hussle and with Nipsey. They took a dive within like 40, it was like 45 minutes. The interview wasn't any more than 45 minutes. And they covered so much. I have not watched an interview, you guys. I have not watched an interview in so long where I felt from another woman that she was so, in. Lauren was so in tune with her purpose in life. And she said it wasn't until after Nipsey died that she discovered this. It was very much giving me high vibrations, a woman that has experienced something so traumatic in her life. But the thing is, we don't know what other traumatic situations she's dealt with in life outside of her soulmate. Because who cares what a black woman, a biracial woman, or a person of color, regardless, non-white woman who cares what they've gone through in life if it doesn't involve a man who cares their childhood traumas and their experiences of abandonment and the pressure of what it takes to be a silent yet complicit yet submissive woman it takes to be in the society that is in a patriarchy no one cares if you're not aligning yourself with the actual storyline that society has provided for you the actual outline if you're not participating in that you will be discarded. You will be pushed to the side because you are not participating in the pick me rhetoric. You're not participating in the divestment rhetoric. You're not participating in patriarchal society, misogyny, misogynoir when it comes to men. The system that is built against them, they take and dissect it and place it upon their own woman because that is a known way to feel powerful. That is a known structure for centuries of how to control not just women, but even other men. That whole situation to me is very, very important to address. And for me, like listening to her, she reminded me of myself. She reminded me of the progression that I had to make as a woman who is now 30 years old in 2022. Regardless of the outcome of what my circumstances have given me, it is now in my duty, is my accountability, is my job to lead the life that I feel is safe, that is progressive, and something that is meaningful to me. It has nothing to do with anybody else. Whoever comes into my life is going to be experiencing a moment with me. It is not longevity. Let me go from the beginning and I'm going to talk about how the interview started and I'm going to give my perspective on each and every single part of the interview that gravitated towards me that hit me. And I'm also going to share some sound um, bites of the interview as well as transitioning and also going back and forth with talking about Jasmine Brown, who is a comedian, a social media influencer, and her relationship with Cam Newton, who is a football player. And I'm going to to make a, a, a comparison and a contrast between the two as far as how I took the interview with Lauren London with Angie Martinez and how I took the interview with Shambuti and Jasmine Brown because these were two polar opposite types of interviews and two different types of women how they seen themselves in relationships with men and a patriarchy in today's society how each woman 
had a path of I care for myself, but I also care for my partner, but to different types of degrees. I don't want to be the person to say that Jasmine Brown's perspective on how she views relationships or submission is wrong, but I feel like there is something way deeper in how she expressed herself in that interview with Shan because I don't I, I don't even believe that she believed in some of the things that she was saying because there were so many pauses, hesitancy. Like if you're confident and bold enough to stay in the type of direction you want to participate in with your relationship, there should be no hesitation. To me, it felt like hesitation, but I'll, I'll get into that because I also have sound bites to that interview as well. Now let's get into the beginning interview of uh, Lauren London and Angie Martinez, the opening. Angie asked Lauren, is it weird that she's doing an interview? Because, you know, we, we typically don't really see Lauren London doing interviews, not even just like after the fact that Nipsey died, even before then, we really weren't seeing Lauren London and press like that. And Lauren was like, not with you. I guess I'm kind of learning how to do that in this new space because I'm learning so much about myself now and I've changed so much. So like taking from this space, yeah, it's new. She also was like, I just want to be intentional when it comes to her speaking because what am I saying for real? And then Angie asked her, is that annoying to you that everyone wants to treat you with gloves, so to speak, or treat you differently? Lauren then says that it's been a big thing. And and it's funny that she said that because when Nipsey Hussle died, a lot of people were pretty much like the first person they thought of was Lauren London. It wasn't his mom. It wasn't necessarily at least vocalized in, in the, the amount of people that kept mentioning Lauren. I should have been seeing his kids. I should have been seeing his mom, maybe. Even to me, I thought of Lauren because I didn't really listen to Nipsey Hussle's music like that. And I, but I also knew that he was popular and the impact that he's had on people. Like I've, know, I've known people that really loved his music. So I knew of him and I knew controversial things that he was in the media for in regards to gay men, especially in the black community, et cetera. So if anyone talked about one or the other, somebody else's name in the relationship was going to be mentioned. That's just what it was. Of course, they were both known for their own talents, respectfully. Yeah, they were like glued to the hip for the most part. Um, a lot of people kept sending their condolences to her. I don't know necessarily what it's like to lose someone when you're in a relationship with them, but I do know what it's like to lose an ex. It just felt like people were dealing with her with gloves. There were men that were like, oh no, who ain't nobody gonna be Dane Lauren. Like people were speaking, there were men that were speaking for her. They were, there were men that were in their minds, protecting her because they respected Nipsey so much. But at the same time, this woman is her own entity. This woman is her own self. She can move about life the way that she sees fit for herself and her children. It's not up to strangers on the internet or even men that she even personally knew to be the protector of any future men that she, if she decided to be with in a relationship with. A lot of people just couldn't imagine seeing her without Nipsey and being with someone else, which to me is even more odd because who are you? You know, like you don't know this woman. 
And even if you did, it's still not up to you with how she decides to move forward with her love life. That was very interesting that she mentioned that. I'm not surprised. Lauren also said that she is grateful, you know, for the support that she's received um, online and in person, etc. When it's genuine, like not when someone feels bad for her and they're kind of like, oh, poor you, poor soul. Nobody likes to feel that way, right? They're incapable of getting support without someone having pity on them. Nobody likes to be pitied. Like she said, like she said, we don't have death etiquette, which we don't. We're not really taught about death or the afterlife. You know, we just, we're just taught like there's hell and then there's heaven and that everyone's going to die. And but we don't talk about the actual feelings and emotions of acceptance, right? And how we're able to guide through that. So for me, just like she said, she even said, hey, I thought I was going to die in my 20s. I don't know. I just never felt connected to the earth. And that is something that I can relate to because I also felt like I was going to die young. Even I'm, I'm still sometimes surprised that I made it to 30. And not just because I've actually been through life where my life was legit almost taken, but also in a, in a spiritual sense, my journey in life is, is, is meant to end when I'm young, not when I'm old. A lot of people, including people like Tupac felt that way. Like Tupac was very vocal that he wasn't going to make it past 30. Like he was very vocal about him dying young. And I feel like a lot of people that are spiritually connected to themselves feel that way. I still feel that way that I'm going to die young. I still do. Obviously not in my 20s because I'm not 30, but I do feel I'm not going to have like a long, long life. And I think that's why when I look back of all the countries I've been to, you know, 37 countries and the amount of experiences that I've had from making it to Mount Everest Base Camp, the world's tallest mountain, to summiting Africa's tallest mountain in Tanzania, Mount Kilimanjaro, to backpacking, to volunteering in South Africa of Cape Town with children. And like my life experience between when I was born up until now, it doesn't feel like I'm 30. I've lived. And I think when you live, even if you didn't do all that stuff, that's not the point. But for me, I could have never imagined myself doing the things that I've done because I didn't have the best childhood. Um, I didn't have the best teen years. For those that know my backstory, you know why. But I just didn't feel like I was meant to be here for a long time. I was meant to be here for a short time, but experience life to its fullest. Like go balls to the wall. Like have do everything that I've ever wanted to do or ever imagined and do it. Like to me, that is living. That is living. Not worried about dying at an old age, but making sure that those years count. That's really vital and really important to how you leave this earth. And I'm very happy that she mentioned that because I thought it was always weird and people thought I was always weird when I said that, but apparently there are other people out there that feel the same way. I also agreed with Lauren when she was saying that it's the most foreign concept, but yet it's the most common in regards of death. I like when people talk about that because it's, you know, it's mostly ignored. People avoid it because it's uncomfortable, but yet it's inevitable. She also said that I've been to funerals, but being in the front row felt different. And I can understand that. It's it's different. You know, you, you have this special connection or may have you, whether it's, you know, a relative or significant other or a friend 
or even a coworker, you know, it's different when you're in the front row because it's close to you, it hits home, as opposed to being a guest where you knew someone or you knew of them and you want to show support that you sit, you know, in the back. The most important people sit as close as possible to the front row um, out of respect. And I can't even imagine. I do remember watching parts of the funeral. She looked... Like she said, she was like, I was going to wear sweatpants. Like it took for someone to put me aside to get dressed up and look presentable because I, I was just not in that mental space to do so. And she's like, it was only because of God that I was able to get through that. And I can, I can see that. I can see how if someone pulls you, it only takes one person to kind of put you in a, in a, a state of realism because I can only imagine that, like she said, it felt surreal. Like it felt like it was not, there's no way that this is happening right now. Life is, it's a gift, but also it can be taken away from you. It's not, you're not owed it. And that's why I keep telling people, like when you have children, it is a, a selfish, you know, act. Because again, you're bringing life into the world because you want to, because you feel like your job is going to be good enough. And for some, not really to raise a human being to be the best version of themselves. But that's not always going to be the case. So I feel like life is a gift and you have to cherish it, but it can also be taken back in a way where if you didn't utilize your gift, if you didn't use it to your best ability, that present that was given to you, then what was the point? What was the point of your parents procreating and you just decided not to utilize every aspect of life because again, it was a gift. It was a selfish gift that our parents decided to give us because they wanted us to be the best version of ourselves. But also you have to look at the realism of we didn't ask to be here either. And we have to deal with everything that humanity and society on this planet is going to offer us the good and the ugly we have to navigate life in ways that we have to depend on ourselves and also depend on people around us that can help us navigate through this life because life is full of lessons that is constant no one knows everything no one knows everything on this earth i promise you nobody Giving ourselves the guidance of learning about who we are through this journey of life is very important. And unfortunately, some people do not take advantage of it. Some people do not utilize it to the best of their ability, whether they have the tools and the resources or not. It's okay to get knocked off in life, you know, and and start all over again. That is something that I feel like humanity needs to start doing is giving other people the grace to start all over again, relearn readjust and get back on track. We should be allowed that. We should be allowed to fuck up and learn from our mistakes and move forward. So because nowadays I'm learning, I'm still learning not to be as judgmental as I used to be, because again, we've all made mistakes and we will all hate to be treated like crap because of it, even though we've learned from it. Imagine like constantly being reminded of a bad moment in your life and yet you've learned from your mistakes, you've held yourself accountable and people still won't let it go. But there are people that do claim to say that they've learned from their mistakes, but keep repeating them. Those aren't the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that genuinely learned because maybe they weren't given the tools, maybe legit, no one's ever told them like, hey, that's not how you do things, but they've learned eventually. So I'm learning how to give grace a little bit more 
um, depending on obviously what it is. <laughs> but if it's harmful and shit like that, I'm not going to be so forgiven. Life choices are very, very layered. In regards of how Angie Martinez decided to ask Lauren, like, okay, now what's next for your love life? What are you going to be doing for your relationships in the future? And Lauren was pretty much, I'm not good for a male ego. I'm giving all of my truth. Like I'm giving all of my experience and from what we know, when it comes to a male ego, especially a man that doesn't know necessarily what his role is in a relationship or was ever taught that, um, a woman is typically having the motivation because she cares for the person that she's in a relationship with. Like she has to somehow teach him how to love her because generally in reality, right? Like you have to teach people how to treat you. You do. You have to teach people how to respect you because Unfortunately, when people have a, a mindset that is already made up, that is already um, deep within their own growth, right? Okay, you're giving me your all as a woman, right? Like you're giving me your all in regards of yourself, your life experience besides me as a man, outside of me as a man. And I'm trying to figure out what you can do for me. Like, how are you going to be submissive and how are you going to bring something to the table? The fact that Lauren was able to speak on her experience, you know, as a woman in a a relationship, she basically was just kind of like, well, L.A. feels heavy. Seeing that nip is everywhere, like on murals and in stores, etc., all over the place. Angie asked her if she would move, you know, out of LA. And Lauren was like, not now because she has family that she has to, you know, take care of, etc. And uh, she said, Nip is everywhere. He's even in my dreams. Like when I wake up, he's on my mind. I'm always going to be thinking of him. What is holding a man down? Like, what is being submissive? The language of what a woman can do to make a man feel whole, to make a man feel masculine. A man is not masculine if he needs a woman to make him feel that. Like, you should automatically feel that based upon your own accord, based upon your own experience in life as a man. It shouldn't take for a woman to come into your life to remind you, to teach you, to guide you into manhood. If you grew up in a household where your father wasn't present, and even if he was, he still wasn't able to give you the the right tools to be a man, a good man for yourself and for partnership, you know, for friendship. And also when it comes to business, if you didn't have the tools to do so, it is very odd that a man would then jump into a relationship expecting his woman to give him the the way learning about himself. 
you see, I would never get into a relationship expecting my partner to teach me how to be a woman. And that's why I found it very weird uh, when it came to Beyonce literally saying to Jay-Z, shortly after they became married, which was, you taught me how to be a woman. You taught me so many things. I was 20 years old when we first started dating. You taught me how to be a woman. She said they started dating at 20, when she was 20, but they they met when Beyonce was actually 18 years old. I'm just saying. I don't know if it took two years in between the time they first met for them to start dating. <laughs> but uh, it's giving me very much of grooming. It's giving me very much... And it's crazy because the moment you talk about this, like the beehive go crazy. They like they don't want you to talk about this. They don't want you to talk about this. And Jay Z fans don't want you to talk about it either. But I don't give a fuck. You already know me. I don't care. I I just found it to be weird and I don't know uncomfortable for me to know that you known this young lady when she was at her most vulnerable and most impressionable stage of life and having this career that she's trying to build and you are this big rap artist who a lot of people know and respect in the industry and people will consider to be one of the greatest rap artists of all time if not one of them well I feel like obviously them getting married I mean marriage is a business arrangement anyways but I feel like it was right on cue for them to get married and develop a strong relationship given their background and their um accolades in the music industry so hey what do i know i'm just here reporting (laughs) that's not a good thing to me like you shouldn't wait for your husband to teach you how to be a woman like you should be a woman before you become a, a wife like you should be able to know who you are before you become a wife how do you become a wife and you don't know who you are? How do you become a husband and you don't know who you are? How do you not know your values and your self-teachings as how to be independent and survive on your own before you become a wife or a husband? It just doesn't make sense to me. If someone is not consistent in my life, I don't feel safe and I don't feel as though I can rely on them. I don't feel safe because, well, I'm dealing, right? I have to live with this, which is abandonment issues, separation anxiety, the fear that I am giving my all and the other person is taking my all and they don't want to give their all. And the constant questioning of this person deciding that they may not want me anymore. Do they like someone else? Like all these ideas, again, has stemmed from childhood trauma. It literally directly came from childhood trauma. And I know this because I've done the work. (laughs) So for me, if I know how to pinpoint those circumstances that I fought really hard to overcome, you're not just going to come up in my life and rearrange the furniture and change things around and then get mad at me when I start questioning why you're moving my furniture. Why are you changing things of, you know, of something that to me feels like home, something that is comfortable. I was in foster care. I had a mother that, you know, was on drugs. And I've had the worst breakups that a lot of people can experience or have already in life. And, um, yeah, I didn't have the, the 
the tools of how to deal with certain situations growing up because I was never taught them. I had to learn through therapy. I had to learn through self-healing and doing the work. So for me, whenever someone is not consistent in my life, I immediately kind of pull back because you're not going to hurt me before I hurt you. You're not going to leave me before I leave you. You're not going to lie to me before I lie to myself. So for me, being consistent, whether it's communication, whether it's checking in on me, whether it's doing your part within a partnership is important. There's value in that. And so for me, my duty and my accountability, my responsibility in any form of friendship or relationship is to make sure that I remain consistent. And I always tell somebody, please let me know if I'm not. Because one thing I do not want someone to do is conjure up ideas or make up a fallacy of what is actually happening with our friendship or relationship. And it's not even that, you know, and maybe something completely outside of that person. And even sometimes even completely outside of myself. I mean, we're all human. So I'm not expecting perfection. I'm not expecting that. But we all know what it means where you built, you've built a, a pattern with, you know, someone and they start changing. They just start doing things differently with no form of ex- explanation. And they assume that you're supposed to be the one to either accept it, confront it, or just be like, all right, let me just make up in my mind what this person is, you know, what their intent is at this point with me. And you may be right, you may be wrong, but again, communication is a part of that, which leads to less of um, inconsistency to arise. I also want to make it clear that it's not something uh, to be ashamed of or to be pitied over because you simply have, you know, your own way of dealing and coping with interactions with others. Again, we're not monolithic. Human human society is not monolithic. We are all going through our own navigation of how we operate with ourselves and with each other, right? And also battling with what society expects from us. So I also wanted to share the soundbite with Lauren London talking about how people pretty much like felt, should I feel bad for her? Like the the idea of woe me. And it just made me feel so comfortable hearing her perspective on this. So let me just play the soundbite real quick and then I'll get my uh, perspective on it. I couldn't imagine going through that. Like that, no one ever wants to feel like their particular situation is like the worst thing anyone else could imagine because then it makes you feel so isolated in your human experience. Yeah. You kind of want to feel like, I don't want to say normal, but like it's okay and that other people could be going through something too. Yeah. So I do feel uh, the pity makes me feel pitiful. The pity makes her feel pitiful. Like when people are being genuine and they really mean well, you don't feel that. You don't feel like they're, you know, pitying you or making you feel like, oh my gosh, you're, you poor soul. Um, that's not what anyone wants when they are mourning someone, right? We want an actual support system, which can be 
you know, just be in my presence, but don't say anything. Or if I need you, you're going to, you're going to be able to answer your phone. It could be something small like that. So I feel her on that. Um, gosh, I can't even imagine the whole world having pity on you. And you're like, I'm already feeling pity somewhat for myself right now and for my children. So why would I need that on my shoulders during grieving? You know, it's sad. But anyways, I'm going to move on to the next topic, which includes Jasmine Brown and her interview with Sham Booty discussing her role in her relationship with Cam Newton. Now I'm going to play the soundbite of about, I think it's like 14 minutes long or something like that. But before I continue into the actual soundbite of Shambuti and Jasmine Brown, I'm going to make this into a two-part series. So this is going to be the first part, and I'm going to cut this one off, upload it as its own, and the next episode following that will be part two. All right, so I will catch you guys on the other end, Dan. All right, peace out. Bye.